0: Welcome to the 88th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with John Land. John is the best-selling author of more than 25 thriller novels. He's also the vice president of marketing for the International Thriller Writers Organization. This interview is recorded live at Thriller Fest in New York City. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is John Land. We're conducting this interview in New York City at Thriller Fest. John Land is the author of 31 books, 19 of which have been national bestsellers. John is published in over 50 countries in six different languages. John's latest book is Strong Vengeance, the fourth book to feature Caitlin Strong, a Texas ranger. John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure, sure. Well, if the listeners haven't heard about Strong Vengeance yet, how would you describe the novel? Fast-paced, impossible to put
1: down, wonderful characters, uh, Dark. some darkness in there, some flaws, you know, some noir. And a wonderful plot about um, Caitlin Strong, female Texas Ranger, taking on homegrown Islamic
0: terrorists. Ah, sounds great. Well, what led you to start writing a series featuring a female protagonist? And did that kind of concern you at all when you started writing the first book? Well, in the, the, to
1: answer this, the second part of the question okay. first, no. Because I, I have. I, if you know your people, they dictate to you what they want to do. They live in my head, but they exist on their own. I've written about serial killers. I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> I write a lot. I've written a lot about children. I've, I haven't been a child in a long time, or maybe I never grew up. I've written about. I did a series where a Palestinian detective and an Israeli detective became a team. I'm neither one of those. Caitlin's origin um, was more business and marketing oriented than it was creative. I had no desire creatively at the time to write about a female Texas Ranger. <laughs> what I had was a desire to write about. A female action hero, and here's why. Met with my publisher in the sales force, which we usually do once a year, mm-hmm. to talk about trends and stuff like that, and where I should be going, and where my books aren't selling, because don't want to, the sales people never want to talk to you about where they are selling. Yeah. <laughs> and it came up in conversation, and it was not on no one's agenda that thrillers are now the most, by far the most popular genre of book, and women by far buy the most books. But there were no female thriller heroes. There were mystery heroes who were women. But I'm talking about a gun-toting female action hero, what I would call a female Jack Reacher, Mm -hmm. after Lee Child's iconic character being played by Tom Cruise in the movie. Caitlin grew out of that discussion. The desire to build something that no one else was doing. As I said, plenty of women heroes, but none of the level Who shoot and kill people (laughs) on the level that Caitlin does.
0: Great, great. Well, earlier this year, Betrayal, a nonfiction book that you wrote, was published. The book was about the FBI agent, Robert Fitzpatrick, that was instrumental in bringing down Whitey Bulger in Boston. What led you to writing a nonfiction book after so many thrillers? That's that's a great question.
1: And it was a thriller. It was just (laughs) a nonfiction thriller. Capote, when he wrote Cold Blood, coined the phrase the nonfiction novel, and that's what betrayal is. In fact, a lot of people who've read it think it's fiction because it's written by me. (laughs) I was introduced to this gentleman, Robert Fitzpatrick, one of the most decorated FBI agents in the history of the Bureau, sent to Boston in in the early 1980s to clean up the Boston office, as he'd done with the Miami office when he'd been down there. He finds a culture of corruption, can't close Bulger, ends up becoming a pariah, ostracized from the FBI years later, gets his redemption, his vindication. What attracted me to the story and why I embraced it was two reasons. One, it was one of those rare nonfiction stories that had a third act, beginning, middle, and end. There's plenty of nonfiction stories that are great, but very few of them end dramatically the way a novel does. I also saw it, and again, you're going to get a sense that I have a rather commercial-oriented mind. I've never been a New York Times best-selling author. I've been plenty of other lists, but none of them matter. (laughs) Only one bestseller list matters, Jeff, and that's the New York Times. I saw this as a potential New York Times bestseller. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't make the New York Times. We were number five on the Boston Globe, which I'd never been on either. It's one of the most prestigious lists, and we'll get another shot in mass market at the same time the trial starts next April. So you, you, there's the writer who tells you he writes only because of love of craft and never thinks of money or business or, or paying the mortgage is a writer who is probably living
0: in a hotel on the, on the, 30th, on the 13th floor with no windows. <laughs> exactly. So what did you think when Bulger was called? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, the publisher who, uh, nobody wanted to buy the book, and
1: we had a lousy publisher named Sterling, owned by Barnes and Noble. <laughs> They're trying to dump the, yeah. the, dump the turkey because they know they got a turkey. It's a horrible experience. Two weeks before, Bulger was captured. After six months of fighting with their legal department, which were the biggest bunch of buffoons I've ever dealt with <laughs> in my life, in my career, they canceled the book. We got the rights back. Nobody two wanted it Two gone. weeks before. I get a call at 3 a.m. in the morning, and most calls you get at 3 a.m. in the yeah, morning not are not good calls. Good calls. <laughs> but it's Bob Fitzpatrick, the subject of the book, John. They got him. Now everybody wanted the book, but my publisher called Tom Doherty, Tom Doherty, Tom Doherty oh, okay. Forge. Now, ironically, we had to the next day we had set Tom Doherty in the book again because he had rejected the first time. Number of other publishers came in. There were some nice offers on the table. And Tom Daugherty called and said, "Where's why am I not getting this book? My agent had sent it to the wrong email address. Uh-oh. We sent it to Tom Doherty <laughs> at 9 o'clock in the morning. This, is, this happened exactly one year ago today. This is the anniversary. The next morning, when we were on the verge of accepting another offer, Tom said, I want the book. My agent, knowing my, was my relationship with Tom Daugherty, my publisher, said, we'll do the deal with you. So I got. Not only did I sell Betrayal,
0: right. I sold it to my own publisher. Great, right. Well, you've had a very long and, and thriving career as a thriller writer. Can I don't know you, about thriving. <laughs> long, yes. Thriving? <laughs> we don't know about how you. Define that. Can you remember when you wrote your first book? What was that experience like of getting it published? It was well. There's two answers to that question. Please, my first book was
1: a senior thesis at Brown University, as part of my honors for film obligation when I was an undergraduate. The experience was, was interesting in the sense that I found out two things. I could do it, and I could finish it. The second book I wrote, which was called The Doomsday Spiral, became the first book that I published, but it took 18 months. It was rejected by most publishers twice. And finally. A paperback publisher publisher named Zebra, which is Kensington, right. took a shot. A man named Walter Zacharias, one of my favorite people in the world. Walter Zacharias, recently passed away, believed in me when no one else didn't, gave me the shot that launched my career. He doesn't pay anything. His contracts are crap. But the bottom line was he believed in me, gave me a shot. I was published, and I still remember, to your question picking up that phone and my agent's voice on the other end going John I have some news for you and here's the great thing about this business Jeff I got that same call from Bob DeForio who represents me now wonderful man Um, I don't want to say where I was at the time right last year at Thriller Fest and he said John I've got some news here it is 30 years later still the same magic still that same flutter same thing I get every time I see my book for the first time, out of the box, the first real copy, and it's like,
0: oh my God, <laughs> you never, if you get tired of that feeling, you're in the wrong business. Right. Um, so you said that you wrote it as your senior thesis, your your first novel. Had you you Had you always wanted to write? No. Well, what was that? Was no, that I wanted to
1: be a lawyer. Law school for me after college was as sure fire as college was after high school, but What happened was, I got to Brown, which is a very liberal and free curriculum, that allowed me to experiment. And I fell in love with reading. And I realized that I liked writing papers. I enjoyed the process of creating. Whatever I was creating, I enjoyed the challenge of using quotes. And Jeff, this were the days of the Smith-Corona typewriter. This was 1976, 77, 78, 79. We didn't have any computers, cell phones. We didn't have answering machines. We had rotary telephones. That's what we had back in those days. I typed my first eight books on a Smith Corona typewriter. And I had convinced myself, even though I kept doing it after computers came out of the market, because all those times I had to retype the entire manuscript, I was making it better. Let me tell you, my time was much better spent just polishing a draft after draft. But the most important thing a writer has to be able to do to be, a, to, to be in this business is finish is close if you can't finish your book I can't tell you how many writers I know have come up to me would be writers and say I've started 10 different books I have write 50 pages and then I, I move on I tell them well, if you'd just written 50 pages 10 times in the same book you'd be done now <laughs> yeah. so that's the key it was god awful it was not a good book, right. My mentor, the great Elmer Blistein from Brown University who's national and internationally known, called himself year for years, Dr. Frankenstein because I was the monster
0: he created. <laughs> great. Well, what tips or advice would you offer um, aspiring writers? I mean, you just articulated one, finish the book. Um, outside of that, what other advice would you give them? You know, this is a very tough time
1: for this industry, but as Churchill said, you must find an opportunity in a crisis. I think you have to look outside the box. But before you get to that stage, the key thing is, and this is, don't don't let this rejection discourage you. Rejection is part of this business as much as success is. Rejection comes in if you can't deal with rejection, you can't function in this business even the best writers face rejection in the film business they face rejection in foreign sales I face rejection every day of my life it's not easy but this is the one business in the world where if you bat one out of 100 you can be a star
0: Great. did you need to Here, I can I can be late okay
1: so uh, what are you working on now? Well, I'm I'm working on so many things now, we'd have to have an hour. That's how busy I am. And that's the other thing, to go back to your last question, by the way. One thing you have to be, you never throw... In in this business, no matter how successful you are, you can't put all your eggs in one basket and say, okay, I finished the book, now I'm going to wait. You don't wait in this business. You move on to the next project. I'm working right now on Strong Rain Falling, the fifth Caitlin Strong. I'm proofreading... I'm doing the, the copy edit on Pandora's Temple to be published by my e-publisher, Open Road Media, in November that brings back Blaine McCracken. I haven't written about Blaine McCracken in 15 years. I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told anybody else publicly. So you're getting an exclusive okay. that nobody's okay. going to care about. <laughs> I auditioned to be one of Clive Cussler's co-authors. It would have been a miserable experience, but the money was was, right. was unbelievable. So it wasn't a good fit, but I had all these sample pages. I had, like, 200 pages that I'd written to prove that I could do it, and then I couldn't do it, apparently, according mm-hmm. to Clack. I took that story and, and converted it to Blaine McCracken. Open Road Media, which is already publishing my older ones, it was, so there it is, Another uh, these two que- these last two questions kind of are, are, are similar, so I'm working on that. I There is more news to break. Caitlin Strong, has we sold Strong Enough to Die. We basically sold Caitlin. 'Cause when you sell one book, right. Caitlin is now at Sony Pictures. Oh, okay. Being developed by the same creative team that made Justified. Wow. So I'm very, very excited. I'm you know, I'm that is exciting. You know, and I love it when they tell me, Will he write the coverage himself? Yes, I will. So I'm writing the coverage <laughs> on that. I'm also working on a number of tra- I have literally it's like you, you're juggling balls. And you just got to keep them up in the air all the time. So where can people find you online? JohnLandBooks.com. J-O-N. Don't, with no H. My mother, when she was pregnant with me, had a crush on the actor John Hall. Okay. And thank God, Jeff, she did, because otherwise my name would have been Barnabas. Or Barney, after my dead <laughs> uncle, Uncle Barney. Barney Land? Can you see Barney Land yeah. on, on a cover of a book? No. No. John Land. People ask me, actually, what's your real name? Not, so, because that couldn't be a real name for a... Seven letters? <laughs> seven letters? Yeah, that's funny. Authors complain about their, their names are too small. The Pandora's Temple cover. My name is so big, you don't. Eat, it swallows everything. It's like, nobody's <laughs> buying the book because it's me. Make Blaine McCracken's name yeah. and the title. Because people... The Pandora's Temple. This book asks the question, what if Pandora's box was real. By the way, it was a jar, but that's beside the point. And McCracken, making his first appearance in 15 years, only because I didn't get the Clive Kessler job that I wanted, but it's a wonderful story. And, it's and how a, did it feel writing Blaine again? It was almost impossible at first. After writing Caitlin Strong, who is so flawed and so real to me, whereas Blaine is... I, I It was like when you... Meet somebody, a friend you haven't seen in a long time. It just takes you a little bit of time to get back, and then it feels like it's just like it was. It took a little bit of time. A lot of books have a moment when a light bulb goes off. In Pandora's Temple, it wasn't Blaine I was struggling with. It was the plot. And when when I realized, just like the reader will realize, that a certain character, a woman, was not what I thought she was, that's when the book clicked, and I knew what I was doing. Gotcha.
0: Well, again, we've been speaking with John Land, author of many popular thriller novels. His latest novel is Strong Vengeance. It's available in bookstores now, so grab a copy. John, thanks for doing the interview. Jeff, I really appreciate it. I look forward to doing it again someday. Okay, great.
1: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator